he'll be very happy to take questions from the room, of course, but we also have, I believe and I hope, some people listening in by phone. So at some point we will go to them to enable questions from the phones as well. But um, for now, I'm going to hand over to the new Nobel Prize winner and um, let you ask him questions if you'd like to. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone got any questions? <laughs> <laughs> if not, I'll ask you some. Pictures, pictures yeah. Uh, well, it still had, hasn't sunk in completely, actually. <laughs> so, I don't know, it took me by surprise this morning. And um, little by little, it's beginning to realize that it's reality and not hallucination from the cold that I've been suffering for the last <laughs> three days. It's obviously very, very honored. Not, not, not really. I mean, you can never expect these things. <laughs> or you, shouldn't, you should never expect them, rather. But it's, I mean, it's mainly an honor, both for... LSE as well. I mean, I've been a product of the LSE since graduate school, and um, that's it. I have a question. Normally, when we're informing about the Nobel Prize, we're trying to explain to everyone what exactly happened, what is the discovery, and as far as it is very hard to, for us to understand, could you use your own words to explain our viewers and listeners? Uh, what actually did you discover? Um, as simple as possible. Well, uh, well, well, of course, no, Nobel Prize in economics are not like medicine, where I can tell you I discovered the cure for such and such a disease, although it, it's, it's, it's a little bit like that. But maybe, well, maybe the best way to explain to you is by, is by going back to the time when um, I started doing my research af after I got the appointment here. And, and the big problem at the time was unemployment in Europe, because unemployment in Europe up to the late 70s when I started here it was very low and they suddenly jumped up and the question is why is it going up and is there anything we can do about it and, and when you looked at economic, um, the economic the economics literature at the time there was really no uh, answer to that question you know, the, there was no framework to think about those issues so the, um, the way that um, I started and also my, my co-winners co independently started working with is to, is to try and develop a framework for dealing with the problem of unemployment that will guide those policymakers and, uh, and, and also uh, initiate other research in economics. So it's really more about developing a, a, a framework. Now, of course, you, know, you could do a framework and no one could use it, and, and then it gets forgotten. But uh, we're lucky enough that people use this one. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, well, well, unemployment is rising again. In fact, the, the, the unemployment response in the previous Great Recession we had, which was in the 1980s, it was more or less uniform in all countries. Uh, policymakers didn't know what to do uh, to deal with unemployment, more or less, you know, in the 80s and uh, early 90s. And, and unemployment went up everywhere. If you look now at, at the current recession, Unemployment went up a lot in uh, Spain and the United States. It, it, it actually decreased in Germany, and it was partly the framework that we developed, if I can say rather immodestly, <laughs> that, that helped policymakers um, put forward certain ideas that had different impact on, un 
on unemployment in the recession. So the way we have really is that it, it gives you the framework to um, study the impact of policy on unemployment and then it's up to the policy makers to decide what policy in particular they would want to follow. And um, it, I mean, there are some things that we can say that they should definitely be followed and some things that should be avoided. But when we get to the final details, it's really more on uh, political decisions. You know, for example, y you could study within this framework what um, Germany has been doing to uh, keep unemployment low. You could also study what Spain has been doing, which led to an increase in unemployment from something like 8 to 20% within a year. Well, uh, well, I can tell you how, how they have used it. You know, for example, the, the New Deal for the Unemployed was started a few years ago, with the influence of one of my colleagues, of course, here. It's very much a policy that you could um, say that um, it's, it's a good policy within, within the framework because what our framework would suggest would be that you shouldn't allow the unemployed to remain unemployed for very long periods of time because they lose their skills, they lose the, uh, the, the sort of mentality that is required to get another productive job. So something like the New Deal where you would get the unemployed, you would give to the unemployed some work experience after, say, six months of unemployment. is something that would come out of the framework and, and would be recommended by the kind of framework that we have. It's, it's a good policy response to the to increasing unemployment. Now you you could go beyond them. You know, the um, the countries that really championed uh, policy recommendations that come out of um, our framework are the Scandinavian countries with rather refined um, uh, policy uh, towards unemployment. And. Um, you can come with, with many different uh, recommendations. For example, I can tell you one that which uh, it, it's been tried now in, uh, it, in some countries and it's a good policy, which is to uh, deal with rising youth unemployment, for example, by expanding higher education, uh, providing more places, more subsidized places by the government. And at one and the same time, you're reducing unemployment and you're increasing the productivity of the labor force uh, through, through higher education. And it's something that's been tried successfully in Sweden, at least. Yes. Um, in the current economic climate, the government's um, budget is now deficits in this country, as well as countries like Spain and Greece, that face mm. serious unemployment. Mm. How do you think that these capital effects are the way that these governments are dealing with unemployment? Or would you be in favor of smaller budgets to deal with unemployment? No, I don't think it would be detrimental. I, I would be in favor of smaller budgets to deal with unemployment. I wouldn't be, uh, I, I wouldn't be in, in, favor of, in favor of unconditional cuts in uh, public spending in the labor market because that could have bad uh, effects on unemployment. But, um, but cutting the, the, the budget deficit at the same time targeting some policies towards unemployment, cheaper policies towards unemployment, could uh, reduce the impact of the uh, budget cuts on uh, uh, unemployment. Uh, 
because the um, y- you you could get you could get quite far in dealing with unemployment with very inexpensive policies. You know, I mean, dealing with unemployment directly, it doesn't have to be um, the result of sort of expensive training and things like that. You could you could provide work experience at, uh, at, at not not much more than what you would spend on um, unemployment insurance benefits, for example. No, I don't think I, I, I don't think we need to have higher structural unemployment than we had before the crisis in the uh, 2000s. You know, we had something like between five and a half and six percent in this country for many years, for example. The same in America. I, there's no reason why we shouldn't go back to those numbers. Now, the, the, the impact that um, the recession is now having on employment is due to the recession. It's not due to any structural change in the economy that will um, necessitate higher unemployment. Um, what policymakers could do now to uh, stop structural unemployment building up is, is what I mentioned, provided they maintain durations of unemployment low, there is no reason why structural unemployment should build up after the end of the recession. So uh, it's it really deal more with, with durations now, with the length of time that people remain unemployed. Things should go back. Um, I don't know yet, actually. It's been so sudden. <laughs> it's been so since I got the phone call, I, my phone hasn't stopped since I got the phone call, so I need to recover. I was also, you can tell from my voice probably that I was in bed trying to recover from a very bad cold, so maybe the best way to celebrate is to get this recovery out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was. Well, I was staying. Well, I was staying. I was staying home trying to recover, and then I, I was still in, in bed. And then I thought, you know, I can't waste my entire day in bed, being an academic. So I got up, was walking around trying to uh, get my head to work and uh, and go and do some reading and uh, and all that. And then suddenly the phone rings and says, "This is an important." Uh, are you Christopher Pisalides? I said, "Yes, no, this is a, it's an important." phone message from Sweden, so it took me a surprise. I thought I was hallucinating for a moment. <laughs> I thought I'd spend, I'll um, take a few minutes to <laughs> sit down and <laughs> recover before I do anything else. No, I haven't even thought about money yet. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'll say it. Uh, I, I haven't been answering phone calls actually, so I don't know. <laughs> the Cypriot president might have called. I'm not sure about the Prime Minister here. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Thank you. I'll be talking to the um, Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation this evening. <laughs> what would you like to say to people in, in Cyprus? I think was the question. What would they like to say? Well, I. Well, I'm really happy that they responded so well because I do know there were many phone calls from from Cyprus. I mean, you know, Cypriot always always <laughs> wasn't always will be kind of thing. So, 
I mean, I do keep uh, very close contact with the island and everything. So, um, so I'm really pleased. I We've also got in the room a lot of um, colleagues. I, I don't know, um, including the LSE director, Howard Davis. Howard, I don't know if you wanted to say anything at this point. Uh, I'm over the moon, Brian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think this is uh, fantastic with the school. Um, Chris has also been a, uh, one of those economics professors who is very visible to students who has uh, always carried on teaching here. Um, and so we are absolutely thrilled. And he's someone who has been... Uh, member of the LSE for donkey, well, longer than probably he would be pleased if I said. But 38 years, 38 I think. Years. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, he's been a, a one-club man, as we say in football. Um, which, uh, so we are particularly thrilled by this. Um, and, you know, the school, will, the school will be finding ways of celebrating, even if Chris goes back to bed. <laughs> We have seen a kind of a deregulation in the labor market mm. in many countries over the past uh, couple of decades. So do you think it is uh, a good thing uh, for reducing the unemployment rate in general? I think so, actually, yeah. That's, it's a little bit more controversial, but I think, I, I think the deregulation from um, the um, regulation that we had, say, in 1980, to now has uh, has has been a good thing for unemployment. Uh, you see, despite the fact that not not despite, I mean, I, I, I mean our our work emphasizes what's known in economics as friction in labor markets. It, it doesn't necessarily mean so fighting each other, but uh, but it means that labor markets don't work as smoothly as um, as other markets. Up to two years ago, we used to say as yes, financial markets, but now we don't say that anymore. <laughs> um, but at least not as, as, as smoothly as goods markets. So, so, so you do need some regulation. You know, there are a lot of monopolies, for example, that na arise naturally in labor markets and do it. But there's a limit to how much the regulation uh, can go. You know, for example, I think some, some employment protection legislation in the form of uh, uh, protecting workers' rights, uh, not right, I mean, protecting workers' jobs for employers is good, but but, but very limited, though, not to the extent to which uh, uh, most countries, including Britain, had in, uh, in 1980, and certainly not to the extent that uh, Spain has it now, for example, where they've created a two-tier labor market through excessive regulation of one sector and no regulation in another. I don't think that's good for unemployment in labor markets. Yeah. Yes, please. I was going to ask, um, how uh, no, actually, the only, I mean, the, the only country that uh, surprises me, actually, in the current recession, unemployment, the, on, the only country whose unemployment surprises me the in the current recession is the United States, in fact, which is surprising given that it's the country that we know most um, because of their statistical uh, data and, and they have so many economists working on the problem. But it's a puzzle why unemployment has gone up by as much as it has in the United States and why labor productivity has risen by so much. There are different views by American economists. But in, but in, in other countries, it's, it's not too surprising given the extent of the recession. If you see the way uh, by how much output has fallen. You know, for example, Spain may have surprised some people, but, but we've but sp some Spanish economists have come up with convincing explanations as to why that has happened. 
but American economists haven't provided any, any convincing explanations as to why U.S. unemployment rate has gone up by as much as it has. But yeah. I, I, I think it's probably because American uh, companies rely a lot more on external finance than uh, companies in Europe. And this recession is unusual in that uh, what's threatening, what has done is threatening to do more, at least the uncertainty is not over yet, is to cut the uh, sources of external finance. And maybe they're being a little bit overcautious in uh, hiring labor. And... Um, and, and they're collecting liquidity within the uh, with from internal funds, just to be able to deal with any uh, loss of uh, source of funds from outside. I think that that's probably the explanation is there, but it hasn't yet been formulated very uh, for, uh, so formally and rigorously. Maybe I could say something from the Centre for Performance. Sure, please do. He's also been a member of for 38 years. Yes. When he joined us, he had already written a classic book uh, on the workings of the labour market, on which David's Nobel Prize in New York is actually based. But of course, soon after he joined, uh, I was on the as Chris said, in the early 80s. And we had a weekly seminar, I think, for about 10 years where Chris is a key teacher of all of us, I would say. And we all learned so much from him, so it's absolutely thrilling for everybody in what was then the Centre for Global Economics and now Centre for Economics. Thank you. In fact, all, all the work was done at the Centre for Global Economics, in fact, with two uh, short visits to the United States, which were connected again with the Centre. One was at uh, all the Ashenfelters uh, group at Princeton. Um, but the, the Center for Labor Economics at that time was, it, it was really the, it's the best way to set up a research center because there was one issue that was a big problem, unemployment. And there was a small number of us being interested in that issue and, and, and just working on it over a 10 year period and uh, feeding on each other and producing work. They were sort of extremely influential work by Leah Nichol that um, was produced there. And, and it's really the way to run a research center. You should have ha, have the issue and have the people to work on, and, and that's it. Yeah, just to explain for anyone who don't, doesn't know, as Lord Layard pointed out, um, Professor Pissarides is a research fellow also at the Center for Economic Performance, which is a, an, an autonomous research center based here at LSE, just for anyone who didn't quite uh, understand all of the academic acronyms yeah. that we sometimes, uh, we sometimes throw at you. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has questions. Yeah, please. I'm not don't, really, don't be modest. I'm not, really, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really the best person to summarize that speaking. Um, and I didn't hear what the Nobel Committee said uh, this morning either because they had me on the, on the phone in case they had any questions, so I can't even quote directly from what they said. Um, no, I, I, I mean, what, what pleases me sometimes when I see is, um, is, that, is that people, including policymakers, would talk about unemployment Within, within a consistent, uh, coherent framework that uh, um, takes into account the rest of the economy, you know, it, it's not just, uh, or, you know, we Excuse must... Me? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm you sorry. Know, sorry. Thank you, pardon. You know, if you... you, know, if you, you, you do you mind if we start that, start that answer again? Yeah. 
that's my fault. I'm very sorry. Uh, yeah. No, as I was saying that I didn't um, hear what the inaugural committee said, so I couldn't quote directly. I'm sure they've done their, their homework and they'll get a better view from them. But, but what, what pleases me, though, is that if, if you see what um, uh, people, including policymakers, how they used to approach the uh, problem of unemployment, how they used to talk about it in, uh, I, I say, 20, 30 years ago, and, and how they talk about it now, it, it's, it's very different. You know, now... I mean, we realize that, that although unemployment it brings a lot of um, uh, dissatisfaction with uh, life and everything, it's it, it, it's also it, it's also an economic problem, which we have you know you have to look at it a little bit more um, objectively and see how it interacts with the rest of the economy and how decisions made by the unemployed themselves affects the uh, outcome of unemployment in the economy. How policy would affect it and, and why, you know, how people respond to the incentives when they are unemployed. And all those issues is really what uh, our, sort of mine and my, uh, and my cohort's uh, approach to um, unemployment has been trying to do, mainly to study the incentives that, uh, you, <coughs> that you could give to um, both unemployed workers and, and companies creating jobs, you know, the incentive for job creation job acceptance by the unemployed and the job loss that might come after that when uh, circumstances change. And it's really more like um, where, where we've been influential is, is really in the way that I see um, people analyzing these things, you know, sort of using a framework rather than just vague statements. I don't know if that's clear probably not. No, but uh, others have done, including two of my colleagues who are here, in fact. Uh, it's, it's very similar. In fact, in some ways, the, the models we developed are even more suitable for labor markets because, um, um, you see, the whole idea, one, one of the key ideas, rather, is that you cannot tell how good, you know, the way we analyze it, you cannot tell how good a worker would be for you as a company unless you actually... Um, meet that worker, possibly hire that worker, have him produce for a little while, and see how well matched he is to the requirements of your job. Well, in the housing market, of course, that applies more than anything. You know, when you see a house from the outside, you can't really tell how good a house will be for you and your family unless you go inside and even live it for a while and, and see it and learn all its quirks. So the... Um, so the model has been applied to the labor, uh, to the housing market with uh, with success, in fact. Yeah. Okay. Any more questions from the room? Right. What I'm going to do is attempt to try and bring in some people by phone in a minute. But as you may have gathered, it's taking me a while. So um, mm. if anybody, I don't know if there's anyone who wants to follow up with a one-to-one -one interview. Um, if so, now's a good time to mention that. Yeah. We will. So if, if what I suggest we do, Chris, if it's all right, is if. If you wouldn't mind doing a couple of one-to-one -one interviews, and then I'll queue up people on the phones as well to talk to you afterwards. Okay. Thank you very much. So we have an interview with the Cyprus TV as well. I I'm sorry. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's it.
How exactly your theory may apply to emerging markets and the search in the labor market, especially in these countries? If you can tell a bit about this. Yes, with with emerging markets, really you would. You would apply, you know, as, as, as emerging markets approach the um, OECD economies in the stage of economic development, then you will get into the uh, situation, into the problems, if you like, of OECD economies, unless you do things differently. And when OECD economies were first um, moving up from uh, emerging market status to um, developed status, you know, if you take Southern European countries, for example, they made many mistakes, many, many mistakes. Uh, because w- when you are growing very fast, you think you can give lots of um, benefits to um, workers. You can put a lot of restrictions to safeguard um, uh, jobs and other institutions that might um, arise in labor markets. But in fact, those are not very good when your rate of growth goes down again um, after you reach the, the, the sort of developed status. So it's best to avoid to introduce those things, and that's what our, our approach to labor markets and the whole unemployment problem is really telling you what um, policies to avoid in um, when growing fast at your emerging market status. You know, for example, avoid what Spain has done, for example. In Spain, it was all done when they were growing very fast, because when you're growing fast, then you can do almost anything you want to labor markets, and it will still perform well. When there, are the, when there are more financial incentives being offered. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. Congratulations again. Thank you. Our next question comes from Max Sala. Your line is open. Hello, uh, Professor. Uh, congratulations, first of all. Thank you. My question is about countries like Chile that are living a boom economy but with high unemployment rates. And the government is trying to solve that with uh, subsidies, for example, since many years ago. And it doesn't work. And it's not working right now. And what, how can you apply the theory? And if you expect that this price would help to promote your theory and help to policymakers? In Latin American countries, actually, not, not so much Chile, but even more... Argentina and that have made some of the mistakes of southern European countries, maybe only under Spanish influence, historical influence. I mean, I don't know. The way, the the way I would say, you know, given the state of economic development of um, of your countries, of Chile and other countries, would the, the way really to respond to it is very similar to the way we were saying before that that. Um, Southern European countries should respond. I mean, sub- subsidies should work if they are targeted well uh, to the unemployed. You know, if you, if you target them in a way that, uh, say, you would get direct work experience to young people, especially, but also to all their unemployed, rather than spending them on uh, training programs, which are very expensive and uh, and, and they don't um, yield very uh, very um, positive results. Um, so I don't. I mean, I don't know the, the the details of your programs to be able to tell you. It's because you've done A and not B that uh, subsidies haven't worked. But usually, small subsidies can go a long way. 
to reducing durations of unemployment. And then once the economy picks up again, then you would um, then unemployment should go down to low levels. But Latin American countries, though generally, they do have institutional structures through the labor unions, employers' federations, the way the wage bargaining is done, that are, that are not very flexible in my experience of what I know about them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's it. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Professor. But just one question: Do yeah. you do you expect that this prize will help to promote your studies and theory to policymakers? Yeah, I I hope so because I obviously think that it would be good if policymakers were knows more. I mean, there there has been a lot of um, uh, policy response actually to our ideas, in especially in Scandinavian countries in the United Kingdom. And, um, mm-hmm. and 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 also, I would say you know even you know even Spain and Italy did it, but not not very well. But countries like the United Kingdom and um, and Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Denmark in particular, in fact, uh, have applied our ideas with uh, with a lot of success. So I hope Latin American countries do the same. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Congratulations again. Thank you. Do you have any further questions? We have another question from Mr. Davos. Your line is open. Yes, hello, Professor Pisaridis. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Um, I'm calling on behalf of uh, Sky Radio in Greece, so I would be yeah. very interested to know whether your theory, your work, could be implemented in a country in the position that Greece is now with these uh, strict measures, and whether it could be helpful. I, well, well, it could be, and in fact, we have made uh, with some colleagues recommendations about. Uh, Greece and what it could do in, in its labor markets now. I, I, I think it couldn't, and there are many things that the, the Greek government could do, in fact, to um, uh, reduce the problems in the labor market. You know, Greece, Greece, for example, has extremely low participation rates, especially from women, but also men. It has very early retirement age. You know, those, all those things are not good for labor markets. <coughs> it has a, a very strong uh, protection, job protection of those who are in, in jobs. You know, companies cannot get rid of uh, workers easily when there is no more work to do. And when you get into that situation, then companies will be very wary before hiring any workers because they're worried that once they hire them, they might be stuck with them and not be able to um, uh, get rid of them when they are no longer needed. You know, those reforms are, are, are essential and and they could and they really should be done uh, alongside the other reforms that are taking place now. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit more about the Greek situation, as you can, as you can uh, <laughs> understand. <laughs> uh, can I ask you just to say you know, a word about your uh, fellow Cypriots here in the UK and in Cyprus? Yeah. They feel really proud. Oh, that, that they were. Well, I've, well I'm, I'm really happy by the response in uh, Cyprus and Greece. I, I'm very attached to the country. I was on the monetary policy committee that brought the euro to Cyprus for seven years. Uh, I've watched the economy uh, close hand. And of course, I went to school there, and I ended up here partly uh, because of the situation that it was going through over the last uh, two or three or four decades. So I'm really happy. But uh, it was one of the things that made me happiest, actually, is their reaction there, the way they embraced me as a Cypriot. Thank you very much, Professor, and congratulations again. Thank you. I'm showing no further questions. 
Yes, come back. No, I don't think so. <clears throat> Maybe that's it. Do you have any further questions? No, I'm sorry. I'm showing no further questions. Okay, that's great. Oh, well, thank sorry. you very much indeed, then. Thank you.